0: Matthew chapter twelve. It's funny, I texted Jeff early this week asking for suggestions on something to listen to besides everything that everything you listen to nowadays is just about doom and gloom and the end of the world and what all's wrong with what <laughs> whatever. So I was like, I gotta hear something else. And he suggested to me the the same person that I was thinking about <laughs> going to listen to anyway. So um, ended up listening to uh, a series, or started his series on Romans. And I, I can't say that the first three chapters of Romans was particularly uplifting, but it was definitely a change of, of pace from what I'd been hearing. So, anyway, chapter 12 and verse 22 it says, Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand, and if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself, how shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or how else can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods except he first bind the strong man and then he will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. I'm going to stop there we'll pray. Lord, as we turn to your word and look at this passage, Lord, I just pray that you would guide my thoughts, uh, help me to um, glorify you and the things that I say this morning, and I just pray that we would uh, be encouraged and draw closer to you through this time. I pray for each person who made it here this morning, I just thank you for them and pray your blessing on each of them, and I also think of those who didn't make it today, either because of the cold or various other reasons, Lord. And I just, again, think of each one of them and um, just ask your hand on, on each one. I pray that each person would be encouraged and that you would speak in their lives, Lord, and just help them um, comfort each one. I pray in Christ's name, amen. So we've been kind of going through this well, the book of Matthew, but this chapter in particular, and the last couple of weeks we've been looking at um, these verses that have been kind of dealing with the Sabbath day, and we looked kind of close at the Sabbath day and, and how that applies in our time during the church age, and we looked a little bit more at the details of the interaction between Jesus and these um, leaders of the synagogue, the the Pharisees and and whatnot, who were trying to trap him. And he performs this miracle saying, after declaring that it is okay, it's right to do good on the Sabbath days. And then they, on that same Sabbath day, they're so furious that he healed this man that they plot to kill him. (laughs) So they were furious that he did good on the Sabbath day but somehow justified themselves in plotting murder on the Sabbath day and and didn't see a problem with it. Such a contradiction, Um, and I think we're guilty of similar things in the way that we we look at things. But as we carry on today, we see... uh, In verse... Back up just a little bit to verse 14. It says... Then the Pharisees went out and held counsel against him, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him and healed them all and charged them that they should not make him known. And we've, we've looked before. It seems like any time Jesus tells somebody that he's healed not to, not to say anything, they do the opposite. And I see as we get down here, We have this, what we read today, he's healed this particular person. And in verse 24 it says, but when the Pharisees heard it, (laughs) so they didn't do a good job of not making him known. I just see that, you know, Jesus, he knows they're plotting to kill him. And yes, that is what's going to happen in the end. And that is his plan for what is going to happen to him in the end. But this isn't his time. And so he he leaves, he separates himself from that situation, and he he carries on in his ministry. And he has this multitude following. He heals all of them. But what struck me as I look at this is that in this passage now, and then was brought unto him one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him insomuch that the blind and dumb, both spake and saw. And it says in verse 23, all the people were amazed. Why are they so amazed? He's healed every one of them. (laughs) Every issue that anybody had has been healed. And now we have this guy, this particular case, they're amazed at. That's odd. I wondered if, I thought about, um, back in, I think it was chapter 8, we looked at the Um, Jesus went across in the boat and there's this uh, madman that's possessed with all this, this legion of devils. He's in the tombs and nobody can tame him. They can't tie him. They can't bind him. He's got this superhuman strength. He can rip apart whatever it is they try to tie him up with. He's a madman. He's naked, running around in the tombs. And Jesus casts those devils out of him and he's, it describes him sitting and in his right mind and clothed. But when the people from the town come and see this, they actually send Jesus away. They don't want him there. What's a strange response to seeing this? But they're amazed at what they see that he's accomplished. And I wonder if this is maybe a similar kind of situation where this person is very notable being possessed with the devil and being bound in this way blind and dumb like when we think of someone who can't speak it's usually deaf and dumb because if you can't hear you can't figure out how to form the words this person's blind and dumb i assume they can hear what a what a strange combination right but it's just bound by by Satan, by this double that is in him, preventing him from these things, but Jesus casts that out he heals him, and the people are amazed well, that was odd it just strikes me that they're amazed at this and the whole the, the thing that started this entire section was in the synagogue he heals a man with a withered hand like I don't know what how withered that hand is. But to me, a withered hand is like, this thing hasn't functioned in years, if ever. And it's probably, like, there's no muscle tone. There's nothing there. It's just this curled up limb. And he heals it. Like, the guy reaches it out, and it's whole. It's functional. It's got the muscle tone, and he can use it instantly. Like, that's a notable miracle. But somehow, this seems to be more so in their minds, and they're they're amazed at it. But what I'm going to look at this morning is the second part of that. It says, All the people were amazed, verse 23, and said, Is not this the son of David? And I, when you start to think about that, that question, Is not this the son of David? First of all, that indicates these people know who Jesus is. They know where he comes from. They know his family line. They know his lineage. He's from the family, the son of David. If you look over in Matthew chapter 22, we're going to build on this a little bit. Matthew 22, uh, verse 41, says, and leading up, here, again, we've got Jesus dealing with the Pharisees and this back and forth, and one of them says a lawyer asks him the question, tempting him. They're trying to trap him in his words still and ask him about the great, what's the greatest commandment and, and whatnot. And as soon as he's done answering that, he turns the tables and he, he starts asking them questions. Says, verse 41 says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? So Jesus asks, whose son is, like, what lineage is the Christ? And they say to him, the son of David. So when you put these two passages together, Matthew chapter 12, they're amazed at what he's done, saying, isn't this the son of David? David. And yet, as if they don't... It's like being the son of David doesn't mean anything, right? That's not a significant... They know this guy, where he's from. He's just a nobody. But when you ask the Pharisees what lineage the Christ is going to come from, it's going to be of David. They know that that is a significant aspect of the Christ, of his lineage is of David. He's going to be of that line so why in their amazement do they question isn't this the son of David but those that know the scriptures knew that he would be the son of David and so we come across these instances now and then as we go through through the gospels and I don't know if I've done it every time but every once in a while um, I think it's worth (laughs) looking at the details of where Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy of the Messiah, right? And that's, it just comes up of, of that issue and I don't, we should. It's encouraging to us. It's, it's of value to us to, to look at those things and um, I was thinking about what the last one was. Um, just recently we looked at the prophecy of the timing, and we looked back at Daniel a little bit a few weeks back of that prophecy of Daniel's 70 weeks. And they knew actually the timing of when the Messiah should come, that they should have been expecting him at the time that he was there. And so, and now they also should have been expecting of his lineage, of what family line he, he came from. So, I just want to look at that a little bit to do that go back to to second Samuel is the starting point of that prophecy. So second Samuel Second <clears throat> Samuel chapter seven. So second Samuel seven and verse starting in verse twelve. And again, this is getting later in David's life and the situation we have is that um, it's a time of peace he's David's been a man of war most of his life and he's been fighting getting you know the reclaiming or claiming some of the land that was promised to Israel and he's now in a time of peace he's he's gotten through all those battles And it's quieted down. And he goes to Nathan the prophet and he wants to honor God by building a house for God. And Nathan, without inquiring of God, as a man, he thinks this is a good thing. Go ahead and do it, is what he tells David. But God comes to him that night in a dream and says, no, David can't do this. And so as a part of that, answer, though, he gives this prophecy. So verse 12 says, and when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son if he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. And that, that is the, the starting prophecy of David's line, being where the messiah would come from and those scholars in jesus day when they looked back at these scriptures they understood that that is what that meant when when god promises it's going to be established like throne will be established forever that eternal statement is referring to the messiah because the human line isn't going to maintain right it's we all know that that's ending and if you look today we don't have a israel doesn't have a king on their throne from david's line and so from that perspective you would look at this and say well that didn't happen but when you look at christ it did happen because that's what this is pointing to is pointing to jesus and so that that Statement of forever, it'll be established forever, is a is a statement of pointing to the Messiah, Jesus. And if we go, there's other there's other passages that refer to this, so I'm just going to go there, um, Isaiah chapter 11. So we're not dependent just on the the one reference. There are there's many others that that point to David, and we'll. Look at some of those as well. So Isaiah chapter eleven, starting mm-hmm. in verse one, it says, "And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding." in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And that passage carries on, and we we look at that, kind of pointing to the Millennial Kingdom, the second coming of Christ, and we see the, it's only a partial fulfillment up to this point, but this is pointing to the Messiah, and it's, the opening statement is, there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And, I guess you have to know your, your lineage or your Bible history to know who Jesse is. And I don't know if you want to turn there, but just I'm just going to go to the book of Ruth, the very last chapter, the very last few verses in the book of Ruth. Show us that lineage. Verse 18 says, um, of chapter 4, it says, now these are the generations of Pharaohs. And I guess, again, you'd have to go and read more of your Bible to find out who Pharaohs is, but he is the son of um, Judah. Almost lost it there for a second. And so these are the generations of Pharaohs. Phares begot Hezron. Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Aminadab. Aminadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begat Boaz, Boaz begat Obed, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David. And so this reference to this stem of Jesse is pointing to, to David. And so we're just these passages just interlink to the different parts of the Bible, and you have to know <coughs> these other parts of the Bible to, to make the connections, perhaps. But... We see this passage in Isaiah 11 is talking about David and David's line is going to be a son of David who becomes the Messiah, who's going to fulfill this prophecy of these things. And and we see that Jesus did fulfill much of that prophecy. It's an interesting, I don't know if All translations do the same thing but in that verse verse 1 of chapter 11 the word branch is capitalized Mm -hmm. and that's important because that is referring to Christ that's why it's capitalized a branch shall grow out of his roots and that's that pointing to Jesus as the Messiah as that branch And so, and actually, just if we, if we look at the terminology here, and it's interesting, we, different cultures do different things, but it's very common, and it's common in our culture. When we look at our lineage, and we look at our, we look, we call it our family tree. We look at, you know, me and my parents, and then, you know, if we start the other way, you know, if I look at my parents, and then me and my two brothers, and, our children, and we see the branches of a tree branching out. And you can go either direction you want with that. But that's our, a common terminology is looking at a family tree and talking about a branch of our family tree to find a certain person or a certain lineage in our history of our genealogy. And so it's just a, it's interesting, the terminology that is, that is used to describe that but Jesus is called a branch, the branch. I just want to look maybe a little bit more at that term, the branch, as it refers to Jesus. We're going to turn over to to Jeremiah for that. Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23, uh, starting in verse 5. Just a couple of verses here. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our Righteousness. Any question about (laughs) what we're talking about here? I don't think so. It's very, very clear now that this branch will raise unto David a righteous branch and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice and he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. That's speaking directly of Jesus. And think again about that verse with this multitude, as Jesus heals this man, and they're amazed, saying, isn't this the son of David? Why are they amazed that this son of David would be healing this man like this, performing these miracles? Look at what the Bible says that that son of David is going to be. <clears throat> He's going to be called the Lord, our righteous, the Lord, L-O-R-D, capital, all capitals. This is, the, this is God in the flesh as the son of David that we're talking about here. Turn over a couple of pages to chapter 33. Jeremiah chapter 33. And in verse 15. says, in those days and at that time will I cause the branch, and again, it's capitalized, we're, still, we're talking about the same branch, of righteousness. I will cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In those days shall Judah be saved, and Jerusalem shall dwell safely, and this is the name whereunto Sorry, wherewith she shall be called the Lord our righteousness. And again, the Lord, all capitals. This is Jehovah God. (laughs) And that is what we're calling Jesus, is God. He will be called that. That branch will grow unto David. David's seed, David's lineage. The son of David is going to be that messiah. Look one more time um, over in Zechariah, right near the end of the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 3. And we, last year's Bible study, we were looking at this book, and we, we did talk about this, and there was an aspect of this that I actually missed, or we didn't talk about when we were looking at it. And I'll bring that up here. But in Zechariah chapter 3, uh, verses 8 and 9, it says, Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee. For they are men wondered at. For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua Upon one stone shall be seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Now I think we got caught up with this this picture that we can't quite understand. I will engrave the gravings thereof, saith the Lord, and I will remove the sorry, this with this Upon a stone shall be seven eyes. And we got kind of caught up in discussing what in the world that might be. And I think we missed the point of the verse. It says, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. What did Jesus do when he died on the cross? He fulfilled that verse. In that day, he removed the iniquity of the land, right? Right? He paid for all of the sin of the entire world on that day. It was taken care of. And we we missed that as we discussed it during our study. But again, we see here in verse 8, it says, Behold, I will bring forth my servant. This is God talking. I will bring forth my servant, the branch. And branch here is in all capitals. But he's called a servant. If you look in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 7 says, Well, I guess we have to back up a little bit. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. You see that connection took on him, he he's equal with God. And you see this verse 8 in Zechariah chapter 3, he's called the branch again, and that is all capitals, the same as you would put all capitals for God or Lord, speaking of God in the Old Testament. And branch is all capitals in that same way. But he says, my... I will bring forth my servant. And he's pointing us to this same thing that we see in Philippians. He's the, being in the form of God. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He is equal with God. He is God in the flesh. But he made himself of no reputation, took on him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And here we have that connection. He's not... Just the son of man, which Jesus often refers to himself as, and he is the son of man. He's in the lineage of David, but he's also the son of God. And this verse, Zechariah, points to both aspects of who he is. And how can we comprehend? We can't comprehend how Jesus can be both of those things at the same time. But in both of these passages, we see that he is both of those things at the same time. On that same thought, in 1 Timothy, now that I've moved away from there, but... 1 Timothy chapter 2, Verses 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified of in due time. And in verse 9 in Zechariah, it says, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Jesus became the ransom for all on that day, on that cross. He fulfilled those passages. And we just see those connections being made as Scripture just links this. It's beautiful. Anyway. Let's look at one more passage, Isaiah chapter 4. chapter 4 verse 2 says in that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel the branch of the Lord in that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious And again, we see that connection here. It's not, Jesus is not only the son of God. and He's not only the son of man. He is both of those things. And we see that connection. And and I, I find it interesting that in this verse, the word branch wasn't capitalized. It's almost pointing to Jesus' humanity in this passage as the Son of Man more than the Son of God. But you can there's no doubt that we're talking about the same person, the branch of the Lord. Capitalizing this one. Is it? Just depends on, on the on the translators. But uh, the wording was changed though, remember? It was, we were talking about the branch of David, the branch of the stem of Jesse is how we started. And now this is the branch of the Lord. We don't need to question whether or not this is, needs to be capitalized. It is definitely pointing to Christ, to the Messiah. And it is, his deity is maybe just assumed because it is the branch of the Lord not just, not of, of David not of a man so we get that connection between not, you know both aspects of Christ and so I come back yeah, go ahead I would so think it would is. Say, it, it's a, It's in the... It is? Cool. I think so. I think so. Uh, honestly, I don't know if what the difference between, um, like, our Old Testament and... The, there's two groups of Jews. Some who would take all of the prophets that we have in our Old Testament as Scripture, and there's mm-hmm. those that only take, um, like, the first five books, Genesis... to to Deuteronomy right and so it just depends on what group that you're looking at but but yeah many of them did and when Jesus was preaching or or going into the synagogues to teach we see he took the scroll and he opened it up and he's reading from Isaiah so that was a part of in Jesus day they did look to Isaiah Um, they quoted these passages so there's no doubt that, that that is a part of of what, uh, what they believed to be scripture. Yeah. And they, un- they had definitely understood it. When you look at, when Jesus asks the Pharisees in, in Matthew 22, whose son is he? And they know, like, instantly, they have the answer, he's the son of David. And I just find it amazing that the multitude questions that the son of David, that's standing in front of them, can perform these miracles, And they don't seem to make that connection to these passages. And yet the religious leaders who can make that connection (laughs) to these passages who should know that the person standing in front of them is fulfilling these scriptures and they don't see it. It seems like each group is missing a piece of this puzzle and neither one of them should be. There's no excuse for anybody to not see Jesus for who he is to not understand that this man that's standing in front of them is fulfilling all of these scriptures and is their messiah. And he's doing and and we know he only did half of what the messiah is prophesied to do. He hasn't fulfilled that second half yet because we're going to see that at his second coming. But even in that initial aspect they should have seen it. They have no excuse to deny him as their savior. And yet, we see that they did that. They did deny him. But it's the point that I want to make is that it's, to me, they're amazed that the son of David could perform these miracles. I'm amazed (laughs) that they didn't understand that the son of David was their Messiah. They're watching him perform these miracles. They should have made these connections. They should have known. And the Pharisees, in particular, who can answer that question, whose son is he? They know. Do they know what Jesus' lineage is? The crowd knew. Do the Pharisees know his lineage? I'm sure they do. But they refuse to make that connection. Let's pray. let close. Lord, I just pray that you would Open our eyes so that when we're looking at your word, we wouldn't be guilty of missing these obvious truths that both the multitude and the Pharisees were guilty of. They have no excuse to not see Jesus for who he was. They had enough information in front of them, but they missed it, Lord. So help us to open our eyes, help us to see what you would reveal to us in your word, Lord, and help us to just lean on you, and trust you, to rest in you. Even as we face uncertain days ahead, um, Lord, help us to trust in you. You said that we could, and that we can depend on you, and that you will take care of all of our needs, Lord. So help us to... Believe that. Help us to trust in you for these things. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.